Chapter Fifteen of Memoirs of Napoleon Bonaparte, Volume Three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Gillian Hendry. Memoirs of Napoleon Bonaparte, Volume Three, by Louis Antoine Fauvelet de Bourrienne. Chapter Fifteen, Seventeen Ninety Eight. Establishment of a divan in each Egyptian province. Dessay in Upper Egypt. Ibrahim Bey beaten by Bonaparte at Salieh. Sulkowski wounded. Disaster at Abu Kir. Dissatisfaction and murmurs of the army. Dejection of the general-in-chief. His plan respecting Egypt. Meditated descent upon England. Bonaparte's censure of the directory. Intercepted correspondence. From the details I have already given respecting Bonaparte's plans for colonizing Egypt, it will be seen that his energy of mind urged him to adopt anticipatory measures for the accomplishment of objects which were never realized. During the short interval in which he sheathed his sword, he planned provisional governments for the towns and provinces occupied by the French troops, and he adroitly contrived to serve the interests of his army without appearing to violate those of the country. After he had been four days at Cairo, during which time he employed himself in examining everything and consulting every individual from whom he could obtain useful information, he published the following order. Quote, Headquarters, Cairo, 9th Thermidor, Year 6. Bonaparte, member of the National Institute and General-in-Chief, orders... Article 1. There shall be in each province of Egypt a divan, composed of seven individuals, whose duty will be to superintend the interests of the province, to communicate to me any complaints that may be made, to prevent warfare among the different villages, to apprehend and punish criminals, for which purpose they may demand assistance from the French commandant, and to take every opportunity of enlightening the people. Article 2. There shall be in each province an aga of the Janissaries, maintaining constant communication with the French commandant. He shall have with him a company of sixty armed natives, whom he may take wherever he pleases, for the maintenance of good order, subordination and tranquillity. Article 3. There shall be in each province an intendant, whose business will be to levy the miri, the fedam, and the other contributions which formerly belonged to the Mamelukes, but which now belong to the French Republic. The intendants shall have as many agents as may be necessary. Article 4. The said intendant shall have a French agent to correspond with the finance department, and to execute all the orders he may receive. Signed, Bonaparte. End quote. While Bonaparte was thus actively taking measures for the organization of the country, footnote, far more thoroughly and actively than those taken by the English government in 1882, 3 and 4, General Dusay had marched into Upper Egypt in pursuit of Murad Bey. We learned that Ibrahim, who, next to Murad, was the most influential of the Beys, had proceeded towards Syria by the way of Belbeis, and Salehia. The general-in-chief immediately determined to march in person against that formidable enemy, and he left Cairo about fifteen days after he had entered it, 
it is unnecessary to describe the well-known engagement in which bonaparte drove ibrahim back upon el arish besides i do not enter minutely into the details of battles my chief object being to record events which i personally witnessed at the battle of selayeh bonaparte thought he had lost one of his aides-de-camp Sukovsky, to whom he was much attached and who had been with us during the whole of the campaign of italy on the field of battle one object of regret cannot long engross the mind yet on his return to cairo bonaparte frequently spoke to me of Sulkowski in terms of unfeigned sorrow i cannot said he one day sufficiently admire the noble spirit and determined courage of poor Sulkowski. he often said that Sulkowski would have been a valuable aid to whoever might undertake the resuscitation of poland fortunately that brave officer was not killed on that occasion though seriously wounded he was however killed shortly after the destruction of the french squadron in the roads of abukir occurred during the absence of the general-in-chief this event happened on the first of august the details are generally known but there is one circumstance to which i cannot refrain from alluding and which excited deep interest at the time this was the heroic courage of the son of casablanca the captain of the orient casablanca was among the wounded and when the vessel was blown up his son a lad of ten years of age preferred perishing with him rather than saving himself when one of the seamen had secured him the means of escape i told the aide-de-camp sent by general kleber who had the command of alexandria that the general-in-chief was near salehia he proceeded thither immediately and bonaparte hastened back to cairo a distance of about thirty-three leagues in spite of any assertions that may have been made to the contrary the fact is that as soon as the french troops set foot in egypt they were filled with dissatisfaction and ardently longed to return home footnote Erreur objects to this description of the complaints of the army but savary tome one pages sixty six and sixty seven and tome one page eighty nine fully confirms it giving the reason that the army was not a homogeneous body but a mixed force taken from rome florence milan venice genoa and marseilles see also thiers tome five page two hundred and eighty three but the fact is not singular for a striking instance in the days of the empire of the soldiers of eighteen o nine in spain actually threatening napoleon in his own hearing see de gonneville tome one pages one hundred and ninety to one hundred and ninety three quote, the soldiers of lapice's division gave loud expression to the most sinister designs against the emperor's person stirring up each other to fire a shot at him and bandying accusations of cowardice for not doing it end quote. he heard it all as plainly as we did and seemed as if he did not care a bit for it but quote, sent the division into good quarters when the men were as enthusiastic as they were formerly mutinous end quote. in seventeen ninety six d'entregue the bourbon spy reports quote, as a general rule the french soldier grumbles and is discontented he accuses bonaparte of being a thief and a rascal 
but to-morrow the very same soldier will obey him blindly young's bonaparte tome three page one hundred and fifty two and footnote the illusion of the expedition had disappeared and only its reality remained what bitter murmuring have i not heard from murat lannes berthier bessieres and others their complaints were indeed often so unmeasured as almost to amount to sedition this greatly vexed bonaparte and drew from him severe reproaches and violent language footnote napoleon related at st helena that in a fit of irritation he rushed among a group of dissatisfied generals and said to one of them who was remarkable for his stature you have held seditious language but take care i do not perform my duty though you are five feet ten inches high that shall not save you from being shot End footnote. when the news arrived of the loss of the fleet discontent increased all who had acquired fortunes under napoleon now began to fear that they would never enjoy them all turned their thoughts to paris and its amusements and were utterly disheartened at the idea of being separated from their homes and their friends for a period the termination of which it was impossible to foresee the catastrophe of aboukir came like a thunderbolt upon the general-in-chief in spite of all his energy and fortitude he was deeply distressed by the disasters which now assailed him to the painful feelings excited by the complaints and dejection of his companions-in-arms was now added the irreparable misfortune of the burning of our fleet he measured the fatal consequences of this event at a single glance we were now cut off from all communication with france and all hope of returning thither except by a degrading capitulation with an implacable and hated enemy bonaparte had lost all chance of preserving his conquest and to him this was indeed a bitter reflection and at what a time did this disaster befall him at the very moment when he was about to apply for the aid of the mother country from what general bonaparte communicated to me previously to the first of august his object was having once secured the possession of egypt to return to toulon with the fleet then to send troops and provisions of every kind to egypt and next to combine with the fleet all the forces that could be supplied not only by france but by her allies for the purpose of attacking england it is certain that previously to his departure for egypt he had laid before the directory a note relative to his plans he always regarded a descent upon england as possible though in its result fatal so long as we should be inferior in naval strength but he hoped by various manoeuvres to secure a superiority on one point his intention was to return to france availing himself of the departure of the english fleet for the mediterranean the alarm excited by his egyptian expedition the panic that would be inspired by his sudden appearance at boulogne and his preparations against england he hoped to oblige that power to withdraw her naval force from the mediterranean and to prevent her sending out troops to egypt this project was often in his head he would have thought it sublime to date an order of the day from the ruins of memphis and three months later 
one from London. The loss of the fleet converted all these bold conceptions into mere romantic visions. When alone with me, he gave free vent to his emotion. I observed to him that the disaster was doubtless great, but that it would have been infinitely more irreparable had Nelson fallen in with us at Malta, or had he waited for us four-and-twenty hours before Alexandria, or in the open sea. Any one of these events, said I, which were not only possible but probable, would have deprived us of every resource. We are blockaded here, but we have provisions and money. Let us then wait patiently to see what the directory will do for us. The directory, exclaimed he angrily. The directory is composed of a set of scoundrels. They envy and hate me, and would gladly let me perish here. Besides, you see how dissatisfied the whole army is. Not a man is willing to stay. The pleasing illusions which were cherished at the outset of the expedition vanished long before our arrival in Cairo. Egypt was no longer the empire of the Ptolemies, covered with populous and wealthy cities. It now presented one unvaried scene of devastation and misery. Instead of being aided by the inhabitants, whom we had ruined, for the sake of delivering them from the yoke of the bays, we found all against us, Mamelukes, Arabs, and fellas. No Frenchman was secure of his life, who happened to stray half a mile from any inhabited place, or the corps to which he belonged. The hostility which prevailed against us, and the discontent of the army, were clearly developed in the numerous letters which were written to France at the time, and intercepted. The gloomy reflections which at first assailed Bonaparte were speedily banished, and he soon recovered the fortitude and presence of mind which had been for a moment shaken by the overwhelming news from Abukir. He, however, sometimes repeated, in a tone which it would be difficult to describe, "'Unfortunate boy! What have you done?' I have remarked that, in some chance observations which escaped Napoleon at St. Helena, he endeavoured to throw all the blame of the affair on Admirable Bruy. Persons who are determined to make Bonaparte an exception to human nature have unjustly reproached the Admiral for the loss of the fleet." End of chapter 15